Earth is the cradle of humanity. But one cannot live in a cradle forever. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts, here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Oh, yeah, baby, Solkovsky. He's pretty good, isn't he? He is to kind of space and space exploration as David Attenborough is to wildlife programs. Would you say that I'm a version of him on this podcast? I would say, yeah, you are the Solkovsky of this podcast. The two of us, definitely me, right? Yeah, yeah, you're the Solkovsky. It's what everyone's saying. And I'm the Buzz Aldrin. This is it's lovely to be talking with you again. Yes, it's always a pleasure, Jamie. And, and I'm, I'm sorry that we couldn't do the meet-up this time, so you're, you're dialing in. I'm dialing in, uh, coming to you live from London Town. Um, don't know if you've heard of it. It's a, it's a cool place. It is a cool place. But I think just more people might flock here once they know of its charms. Exactly. And the world-famous London Metropolis Studios, right? God, yeah, Absolutely. Matt, what have we said about giving my location away? There's going to well, be I mean, throngs of fans outside. I know, but the weird thing is, of course, you have people like Beyonce and all that lot there. So, you yeah. know, and she'll be really disappointed when she's just, oh, the, the fans, fans are outside and they're actually your fans. No, she'll just be more disappointed that I didn't invite her into this room to talk about lunar colonisation, me and Queen oh. Bee. You know, how, you know how passionate she is about it. Well, absolutely. I, I'm quite surprised her she hasn't tried to do a lunar gig yet. It'll happen. I actually thought this was a really good time to talk about lunar colonisation. Mm. Clearly, there's something going on because how many spacecraft recently have been going to the moon? Quite a few. It is, but a lot of them have failed. I've got a bit of a list here and there's lots of red things like the, remember the Japanese Hakuto-R mission? I know. That, uh, crashed, software bug. And then you had the Emirates. They tried it. Emirates the tried rash- it. Lunar flash. Yeah, the- we- let's not forget the flashlight. And that's flashlight. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that failed. Failed. Uh-uh. Yeah. So thr- no so thrust issue. One disasters. other failure, Matthew, was the Lunar 25. Uh, do you know what? I feel horrible about saying this, but there's a little bit of me that was glad that Russia managed to fail on that rush on that space mission to the moon. And but. There was some story that some of the scientists on that particular mission have disappeared and potentially have been... It's not good. So I I don't know. I I don't know how much of that stuff is like Western propaganda, but, but... who knows? I, 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 you know, they're naughty Normans, the Russians. So I, I at the moment, they're, it's um, the Russian regime and there, and Roscosmos can can go do one. But um, there's a few. There's a few um, that we have to say. The the Indians with their Chandrayaan three. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about this a bit later, but I think one of the sort of things that that does is put a flag in the in the sand to anyone who thinks that India is a kind of backward country. It, it basically says, no, we are a spacefaring nation capable of doing things that other people have never done. God, completely. This is it. I mean, you know, when people like NASA and, you know, Japan uh, and Russia are failing... India are like, well, actually, we've succeeded, you know. So yeah. don't think of us like this third world nation. Yeah, and there's a there's a there's a uh, one called Slim. Slim um, is en route. That's right. And then you've got um, quite a lot of ones lining up as well. 
the the craziest one is this Dogecoin one, the Doge one, that's on its way. Uh, that's a bit of a crazy one. There's Mission One, of course, that will be the Mexicans' first lunar mission. It's quite so. It's quite interesting how many countries are getting involved here. Um, there's uh, Nokia are even sending something up up there at some point. A little rover. <laughs> Do you think you can play Snake on it? Uh, you can play Snake on Spotify now. I've noticed. Can you actually? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't know that. Didn't mm. know that. I used to love that. But we've got to wait some time for the crewed ones. So NASA, along with a Canadian astronaut, of course, are going on Artemis Two, supposedly November 2024. So just over a year away. I'll be very surprised, actually, if they stick to that timeline. Mm. But that will be incredibly exciting. The first time people have left low Earth orbit in your lifetime. It's never happened in your lifetime, Jamie. And I was one the last time it happened. Were you one? I mean, there's people discussing your age online, I know. I mean, how old are you, Matthew? Yeah, you can't believe everything you read on Reddit. (laughs) (laughs) According to the timeline, December 2025 is where we'll see the first woman and next man to actually set foot on the moon as part of Artemis Three. Wow, incredible. So not long to go, really, in space terms. There is obviously a lot of interest, and China in there as well, Chinese crewed mission, lunar mission one. That's supposed to be like 2030. (laughs) So they could, but there is every chance that China might beat America to the moon again. Of course, they haven't beaten them. They're 50 years later. But the Russians might do it as well, but I can't see that happening either. But so I thought it's ripe time to talk about Lunar colonization nation. nation. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, I I decided to turn my speech impediment into a song. (laughs) I enjoyed it. I was the Gareth Gates just for a moment. (laughs) No one's going to notice it. Um, I loved it. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely excellent time, Matthew, to talk about all this stuff. And we've got some really exciting things to talk about that I think maybe some people might have kind of missed in the in the excitement of the the chat around the you know colonization of the moon um where should we start well I, I guess it's the concept isn't it what why what what's the motivation behind yeah. it the first one I think and this has always been the case, is scientific research. Yeah. So you, you, you've kind of got, I guess the, the moon is unique, isn't it? We, we've not been to an environment like that. So that was the just kind of the justification for sending the Apollo missions that the, the last few had a bit of geology going on. So there was a bit of scientific research yeah. into that. And of course, it does help us understand Earth's early history. Where the hell did we come from? Well, not only that, Matt, but what about resource utilisation? I mean, you know, we're talking about, we'll be talking more about mining later Mm -hmm. um but you know helium three lots of chat around this could fuel future nuclear fusion reactors i mean that's massive potentially for energy could could be absolutely massive and of course that they've also found water as there as well which is another which can be turned into another fuel but helium helium three is interesting remember when we were talking to mike fall yes and he kind of had a little bit of a strop about helium three as he he kind of he definitely was a bit arsy about it so it's i wonder how seriously people take that but I, i i think it i think it's definitely something in there i think there must be some people who who think that helium three is a very useful resource 
for new if nuclear fusion suddenly becomes a thing it suddenly the moon might become incredibly important well matt you mentioned water ice water being on the moon and obviously if they can split that down into oxygen and hydrogen then you've got rocket fuel i.e could the moon be a base for exploring you know uh distant locations could it be a stepping stone uh for our solar system such as mars etc um makes sense doesn't it Oh, oh, super makes sense. I actually think that that is perhaps my favourite excuse for doing it. It mm. kind of, you need to practice making fuel on the moon before you'd ever try and practice doing something similar on Mars. Right. Because you're only a, a few days away rather than months away. And not if just you're about the, If you're lucky. And not just about the practice. I mean, you know, the, the idea that you can travel to the moon moon and then and then completely refuel potentially and then use that fuel to to get to further places where you might not have been able to i mean that's amazing yeah well so something like 80 or 90% of your energy mm. is launching just out just to get out of earth's Absolutely. sort of major gravity well so once you're on the moon if you can build stuff on the moon of course and and to build stuff on the moon you would need to colonize it you would need to have um, a lot of people on there to build a spaceship from scratch and to build rocket engines and things like that. You'd it, it would need you'd need to have significant infrastructure, um, and that of course would bring the one of the other reasons for doing it, and that's technological advancement in, in doing stuff like this, like the Apollo missions. They it, it kind of accelerated so many technologies like the computer and and life support mm. and all those sort of things. It w were accelerated massively by the Apollo program and things like lots of buildings would fall down in earthquakes if it wasn't for for some of the things that they developed to hold the rocket <laughs> up right. when it was launching and right. stuff like that. So technological advancement. And of course, you've got the survival of the entire human race. That will do it. I mean, you'd have to have an enormous population, I think, on the moon to act as a backup for humanity. I think if, and and I'd have to be self-reliant if it was if it was something catastrophic like a super, you know, asteroid that burnt the whole atmosphere down mm. and there was no crops left or anything like that, and suddenly you were on the moon. It'd be like wow we we are in trouble now. yeah exactly yeah you have to have a longer term plan than that and and of course yeah you, like you said it's it's all about the economic opportunities of mining mm. you, it, it's potential mining tourism there's loads i actually went with a much bigger list jamie i suddenly thought i wonder if there's any kind of more obscure ones and and i made this really long list of reasons to go to the to the moon, scientific research, technological advancement, research. But I actually started, there, there was actually quite a few things and geopolitical influence, like India, that's why India have done it. Um, inspiration, you know, the the, the, the Apollo yeah. missions when they were there, you know, they, they, they're still inspiring, aren't they? They, they still inspire people. Um, you've got culture and historical significance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the, you know, there's there's lots of reasons to think that, Culture and historically, that would that's that's a reason for doing it. International collaboration, yeah, you know, brings brings us all together. Yeah, you know, the Europeans and the and the Americans and the Canadians and the Indians and and lots of other people are sort of clubbing together to do this. Space tourism, space tourism, of course. Understanding the Earth, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a really good one. A telescope on the far side of the moon, shielded from Earth's radio emissions. Come on. 
Now we're coached. Uh, then you've got things like just just the challenge and adventure of it all. Mm. You know, you know, people want to do it just for that. Space farming. Space farming. Yeah. So how, how viable is it to grow food on the moon? And can those insights, you know, for for long duration space missions and Mars colonization and for growing food in extreme environments on Earth? Right. Maybe. You yeah. know. So you know, it's, it could be space medicine. Space medicine. Like, you know, you know, actually sort of work on medicines that help humans uh, with deep space or even be able to, to develop medicines that, that aren't able to be developed in higher gravity on Earth. Hmm. Space energy production. And we'll talk about this a bit later, but there's quite a few reasons why space energy production suddenly becomes easier. So, yeah, what about lunar sports? Imagine that. Lunar like, sports. Things like swimming, where people can come clean out the water, like you know, like flying fish and dolphins. Do you know what I think I'd be really good at in lunar sports? I think I'd be really good at weightlifting. <laughs> yeah, but maybe other people will be better still. Oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. What about art and creativity? New forms of art created in the lunar environment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. S space archaeology. Space archaeology. So, so you go to things like the Apollo landing sites. And, and Matt, there's of... a lot of dust on the moon, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, think about the sales of Hoover's. I would have thought Dyson would be very interested in, uh, you know, yeah. setting up shop up there. Yes, absolutely. Very good point. Protecting. What about setting up like a moon early warning system to 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 uh, stop things hitting the Earth? That's a great call. Early warning yeah. system, yeah. Didn't think about that. Turn it into an enormous burial site so people could be buried on the moon. Oh my God, don't know about that. I mean, why not though, right? How about space diplomacy? Having a sort of neutral ground for diploma diplomats to meet. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> um, space fashion. So you know you you might you might be able to a, a whole new environment for to make new clothes and fashion trends. I mean, forget Paris, Moon Fashion Week, and of course my favourite, space philosophy. Here we go. The experience of living on another celestial body might lead to new philosophical or existential insights. Wow. There was a few thoughts, Jamie, about why we might want to go to the moon. I think it's great. And um, I'd like to know what your thoughts are, Matthew. I mean, what, what do you think about this? Maybe we should be calling it settling anyway and not colonisation. Yeah. Because obviously colonisation brings with it a whole connotation of something, doesn't it? It, it does. It's often, you know, when people think of colonising, they think of a control over a territory and... And and obviously the history North, with the with the West, you know. Well, yeah, Europe in and uh, got great and their colonies in Africa, Asia, yeah. America, etc. Oh. Not not great. So we should really try and do everything. All the lessons that we learnt in colonization, all the bad things, mm. we should sort of learn learn the the mistakes. You know, all that exploitation for gold and spices. Mm. It, it potentially the same sort of thing could happen with mining asteroids and and helium three and and all those sorts of things. Maybe will mankind will fall into the same trap. Particularly considering a lot of this is going to be led by companies. Yeah, you know, 
capitalist companies who are are just out there to sort of, for want of a better you know word, is you know completely exploit and rape the resources on the moon. Is that really the best way that we should be doing it? The only thing that I think is good, in a way, is that there isn't a sort of sitting tenant, as it were. We hope that we've learned from our mistakes. And, you know, nobody owns the moon. So, as you just said, I think it's time now for us to seriously have the discussions of if you're starting to mine on the moon, you know, who's going to get that money? What's the situation with companies bidding for this? And, and where does that profit go? We've got to be careful with it. That's why I like actually the international approach at the moment to going to the moon as well, is that it it stops it becoming, again, for want of a better word, a, a sort of white endeavour. Mm. And, and, and that if you don't include everyone, the whole of humanity, on that you know journey to the moon and, and turning it into this like new place, yeah. then we have got the danger of, of again, screwing it up. Mm. I'd be really interested to to to, to hear like a, a philosopher's view on this, and and maybe someone who wasn't in the space sector, who've who's actually thought about sort of more deeply about what these kind of um, communities might look like, and how we how we could avoid like dangers and what they think those dangers are. It gets it gets sometimes it gets a little bit annoying because you get people who who without wanting to do it, impose their own ideologies and don't realise that those are ideologies as well as the ideologies that plagued us before. So it's, it's a really difficult, it's a really difficult one. We had a we kind of vague one where it was like, oh, we can't bring nuclear power to the moon because nuclear's bad. And it's like, it, it, you can't really see it like that. Nuclear is kind of neither good nor bad. It's it's an ambivalent technology. right? Uh, and if it's useful for sustaining everyone on the moon, then... Why not? Yeah, but they, but but I can't help feeling that they, in their mind, they think that that's the right thing. So uh, it's it's very very difficult. It's a there's a big long conversation to be had about it. I think absolutely. And who are the people in charge of making the decisions? But I think we're really on the cusp of it. I, if if I'm honest, I think you know I think Mars colonization is is really unlikely in my lifetime. I just I, I, you know maybe I'll see someone step on Mars, but I doubt it. But I think we'll start to see habitations, like really? permanent habitations on, on the moon, maybe only in the scale of the ones at the Antarctic or something. I've got vague memories but, of asking you this about 10 years ago, of your prediction of when we will do stuff like this. And I think, I need to listen back, I think you said 2030. I'm still standing by that. I, I, I don't believe in this kind of accelerated... The, the NASA timeline just doesn't ring true to me at all. You're, we're yeah. supposed to believe that somehow people are landing on the moon in 2025 in Starship. Are you absolutely kidding me? <laughs> it's like, it, it, I mean, think about it. That just seems so ridiculous. And I have some... Some two by four up with a the screwdriver. They're going to start building. I actually think that Starship may even be the wrong architecture full stop. The fact mm. is, it's like the space shuttle. There's no, there's no launch abort. It's not like an airplane. It'll never be that safe. It's ridiculous. So, I, I've got some massive reservations, and I know that lots of people disagree with me there. But every now and then, I meet someone who agrees with me, and I go, "Oh, I was right." I, I've been battered down in my opinion on that <laughs> quite a few times. But I've never changed, uh, Matthew. Just, it's your view. No, no. Uh, 
yes, I don't see really anyone stepping on the moon before the earliest 2028. But I kind of seeing it really 2930. I actually think we'll see an exciting race between the Americans and the Chinese. I think we should encourage get, people get listening to this, Matthew, to tell us their thoughts. If they do want to let us know their predictions, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, is is uh, is Twitter, I think. I think that's the place where I interact the most, inter- at Interplanetypod. Well, and Find obviously we know there's there's some big Discord action going on. Yeah, there's Discord as well. If you want to if you want to join us as a Patreon, of course, you get to join the Discord where lots of this conversation takes place. I know that we normally say this stuff at the end of the podcast, but I'm just throwing it in the middle. For anyone that wants to get involved, that's how you do it. And I must thank all our Patreons. Hell yeah. I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, just the fact that it's going to be potentially a race between China and America, again, it comes down to this this kind of competition between ideologies. It's not bringing mankind along with it, is it? It's more of a kind of, what's going to win? Yeah. Yeah, kind of absolutely. Thing. And it's, like, uh, it's still it's putting that not, flag in the, the soil, best. isn't it? Yeah. Do you know who was the first person to sort of really think about people being on the moon? Was it a clergyman and one of the founders of the Royal Society? Do you know what his name was? In that case, I'm going to say it's John Wilkins. Yeah, John Wilkins, who who died in 1672, the, the latter part of the 17th century. Wow. And of course, obviously, there'd been a, a lot of excitement. This is at the era of Galileo, isn't it, really? So, yeah. and... He, because Galileo had seen mountains and things like that and valleys and things like that through his telescope, it was like, oh my gosh, well, maybe the moon is is just like any other, is is like the earth. Maybe there are people living on there. Hmm. And so, yeah, he was the first person to speculate that there may be like people living on the moon. Hmm. Um, that it was, that it may already be inhabited, but it was certainly habitable. So he was talking about that you know, way back in the 17th century, even talked about the feasibility of space travel, flying chariots and things like that. And he wrote extensively about this, but 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 one of them was a discourse concerning a new planet written in 1640. Yeah. A lot of people have heard his name, but it's, it's not a name that you come across too often, but that's, it's John Wilkins, you know, it's, he's, he's, think, he's, he's doing the thinking there. Well done. Love it. You Love should it. probably, you know, so so I'm hopefully when the first colonies or the first settlement, let's call them settlements from now on instead of colonies. Let the first settlement should perhaps be called the Wilkins settlement. I mean, I think they've got to tip a cap, haven't they? We've talked about this on the podcast a lot, Jamie, and that is space law. Space can law. You, can you remember the, can you remember the name of the treaty that really is the big one? The OST. <laughs> the OST. The Outer Space Treaty. Of course, that is uh, just before, you know, 1967. So that is not too not too long before Neil and Buzz are stepping on the moon. So obviously, that, that they were in a bit of a a bit of a rush to get that. So basically, Jamie, it's, it's a sovereignty. What does it say about sovereignty? Well, Article Two um, states: Outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, is not subject to national appropriation by claim of sovereignty by means of use or occupation or by any other means this means no country can claim sovereignty over the moon or any part of it so yeah placing your flag in the sand there or regolith 
yeah. is um, is pointless, really. It, it It's basically saying, it doesn't say anything about its ownership. You, you can't own the moon. Yeah. What, what about peaceful purposes? Peaceful purposes, well, um, it specifies that the moon and other celestial bodies shall be used exclusively for peaceful purposes. It prohibits the placement of nuclear weapons or any other kinds of weapons of mass destruction in outer space, including on the moon. I mean, good to know, isn't it? It is good to know. I mean, I don't know why you'd ever put nuclear nuclear weapons on the moon because, of course, it would take a couple of days for them to get back, by which time it's like, I, well... I can think of a few coming. people that would want them up there, but we won't go into that. I thought it was dealt with really well in For All Mankind, which mm. is still one of the most fire programs ever. If you've not seen it, go to Apple TV. It's one of the best things on there. It's so good. I've seen For that, All For All Mankind. Ah, uh, yes, it's so good, Jamie. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, but there is a sort of two settlements on the moon, a Russian one and, a, and an American one, and they pretend that there isn't guns, but they take guns up there anyway, and it all goes wrong. I need to check that <laughs> so, out. You know, you know, exploration and usage, of course, yeah, is the... Um, if you're going to exploit the moon, it has to be done for the benefit of all mankind. Mm. Um, uh, and it should be free for exploitation, exploration and use by all states without discrimination. So you, you can't ban... That's a big one. And state responsibility. It, the governments are responsible for national space activities, whether conducted by government or no, non-governmental entities. So if you're doing anything in space, you're in SpaceX, for example... They're a non-government body, yeah. But the government is responsible for those space activities. Mm. So, so the, the the local, the respective government is responsible for ensuring that SpaceX are in line with the OST. They can't just go off and do any old thing. So there was a, there was a bit of a tag on called the Moon Agreement, mm. and that and that was in 1979, and it says the moon and its resources as the common heritage of mankind. So uh means that any benefits derived from lunar resources should be shared with all countries, especially developing countries. Hmm. Uh, but it's worth noting that major space-faring nations, US, Russia and China, have not ratified the moon agreement. That's a pretty low-end thing, isn't it? It is a bit, yeah. Matt, what about Artemis Accords? So this is the latest thing, isn't it? So... Because the, the the NASA mission is called Artemis, they've decided to come up with the Artemis Accords and have been frantically going around trying to get people to sign up to it. So it's a, it's a series of bilateral agreements with other countries to, to guide the behaviour of nations in lunar exploration. So kind of in lieu, I guess, of the of the lunar agreement. It's right. like saying we didn't like the moon we didn't like the moon agreement, so we're writing the Artemis Accords. Um, it promotes safety zones. So if you've got like a, an American settlement there, then there should be a safety zone around it to prevent interference mm. from other people. And then it also supports extraction and utilization of space resources. So it, it, in compliance with international law. So it's like, you know, any other kind of law on earth. So it, it doesn't, doesn't quite line up, does it, with the, with the moon agreement? Not 100%, no. Interesting. So there's lots of debates, of course, about property rights, um, especially when private companies are involved in lunar exploration. It's quite hard to exploit anything if mm. that, say, if an oil field doesn't belong to you, you can't really exploit it like you would like to. So, like, if you discover yeah. an oil field, it's yours to exploit. But, but 
if you discovered a helium-3 mine, does everyone just race to it and exploit that helium-3 mine on the moon? It's quite hard. On the OST, it basically says, no, you can't. Yeah. Everyone is allowed to sort of dib in and you can't protect your your scientific discovery, if you see what I mean, your Absolutely. resource discovery. That's the way I understand. We've talked to, we have talked about this quite a lot um, on the... Um, on the podcast and we've had some legal experts talking about the outer space treaty and how it should probably change. It's really difficult. It's really difficult to see how it, how it kind of pans out. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to be tricky, isn't I, it? It's going to be very tricky. I, I, I the, my only hope is that space moves quite slowly, that we don't see this sudden explosion into space. That's and when people will get tripped up, right? Yeah, well, we won't have time to sort of iron out the mistakes. It's a bit like right now, the AI explosion, this generative AI explosion that we're living through, the tsunami hmm. of AI. I don't think there's enough time to react and have laws that everyone's really happy with. Right. I know, particularly in our space, Jamie, in the music industry, it's hmm. like, holy holy moly, there's so many issues that, that, that I don't think are going to get sorted out before this thing has taken us over. Yeah, we're in trouble. I, I, I'm very, I'm, and I see as I'm, I'm a techno optimist. I'm very positive about all the changes that that generative AI is bringing. But I can definitely understand the worries of people, and I'm pretty certain lots of people get shafted. I'm hoping that this is a this is the type of technology and the type of progress that takes some time, and maybe we'll get a chance to iron it out. But if not, we have been. We have been caught sleeping at the wheel. You know, this this the Apollo missions happened over 50 years ago and it, it seems like not much has happened in terms of the sort of legal... You're right. It's not like this has been there. a gradual process up to where we are now. No. Yeah, there, I think there was a shift from the moon to, to Mars, wasn't there, in the 70s. So maybe that's one of the reasons why we haven't been talking about you know, what's going to happen on the moon. Hmm. Because people said, right, instead of the moon, let's shift our focus to Mars. And one of the reasons is because the moon really is a desert. There's nothing there. Hmm. It's just, well, it's just cheese. And everyone's That's all there is. It's all there is. And, and so, yeah, the, the, as the Apollo era came to an end, hmm. you know, America said, we beat you, Russia. Russia just didn't have the money to then say, oh, can we come in in second place? That was it. It's, it's over. <laughs> yeah and so everyone lost everyone just lost interest in the moon and then obviously it's way too expensive america's coming out of the vietnam war what the hell do you you know there's no way that can carry on con, on doing something that no one's interested in mm. so that's the end that's kind of really the end of the the moon really and then science kind of started sending probes to what well, NASA really and Russia started sending probes to Mars, the Viking program being one of the sort of big ones. Mm -hmm. And it's at that point, everyone went, mm, well, Mars is really more earth-like if we're honest. And there's the possibility that there was a climate there, that there was geology and maybe even past or present life is is on Mars. Yeah. So, so it's got to be worth, you know, finding life on Mars is still an extraordinary thing to happen if it happens. Hmm. We're not going to do that on the moon. We can pretty much certain we're not going to find any kind of life on the moon. But 
On Mars, it de jure is out, really. We could still find actual living life and certainly evidence of past life. No whalians on, on the moon, Matt? I don't think whalians, no. There might be little pockets lower down that's, that do have life on. Who knows? I just don't think it's very likely. I'm going to bet you £2.50 that there is some kind of life in the water on the moon and that in our lifetime we'll discover it. Virtual shake mm. on it? Yeah, virtual shake. £2.50. £2. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, who will win the bet between Jamie and Matt? Vote here. Well, you know, there's there's plenty of technological challenges to get to Mars. Like I said, I, I'm I'm not seeing it really happening in my lifetime. I'm, I'm which I'm very depressed about. I'm 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 really optimistic normally about these sorts of things. Um, and my mum always, oh, well, I don't see anyone getting to Mars, and and I would always disagree with her. But like, I I have to begrudgingly admit she was probably right. Hmm. There's just too many things to get to to sort out. One of them, the most being radiation and being able to sort of grow crops and and get supplies and the danger of it is just too difficult. Yeah, that'll uh, do it. And, and, and you definitely want to try it on the moon first. So one of the big drivers of the why the moon might be sort of regaining its place of, oh, let's go, let's go explore the moon, is water ice. Mm-hmm. The Lunar Prospector and Chandrayaan-1, India's orbiter, um, yeah, have, have basically almost definitely confirmed that there is water ice at the lunar poles. So that's why the lunar poles are incredibly exciting places to visit. They're actually harder to get to because of the sort of um, dynamics of space travel from right. getting from the Earth to the, you know, to get in the orbit. It's quite easy to get in orbit around the equator of the moon, but much more difficult to do it over the poles. That's right. That's why that the Indians landing in the South Pole uh, the first people to do it is 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 such an incredible achievement. It's incredible. it's awesome. The commercial interest of being able to yeah do that resource utilization, the helium three thing being very interesting. There may be of course rare other rare materials as well, like rare minerals and stuff like that that are on the moon that we don't necessarily have on Earth because the moon is always being bombarded with radiation much more than the Earth. It could be that there's lots of very interesting minerals just in the regolith alone. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, that's something that isn't really being spoken about too much, is it? But I mean, yeah, to think of that, obviously the rocket fuel and the helium-3 is is huge, but rare minerals, of course. Yeah, and, and there's a chance, of course, that you might be able to make things like solar panels and and if you can set up a um, a lunar base that uses lunar resources to make something like solar powered satellites hmm. and by I mean by what I mean by solar power satellites is the these uh, a sort of satellites that go out and and harvest energy from the sun in space and then beam it down to earth hmm. because solar panels in space are way more efficient than solar panels on earth. Right. They don't have to they don't have to deal with the atmosphere and clouds or nighttime. Yeah. So orders of magnitude more efficient and then you can just beam that energy back down to earth. But of course getting load that amount of satellites up into orbit to do those sorts of things is very expensive. Yeah. Uh, but it, but if you could do it from the moon and you could just con- continually restock these solar powered you know satellites then it, that might that might be feasible, um, 
but yes, this whole idea of a, a, a gateway to deep space, that that has started to be talked about more and more, I think. It's, it's a big one. Like, it, it is a big one, yeah. So, you know, Artemis has kind of reestablished this whole idea uh, as 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 a sort of focal point. Good old Artemis. Yeah, for going to the moon. And of course, Russia and China have recently joined forces for their own lunar exploration program as well. So there's a there's a sort of annoyingly it it goes back down to sort of geopolitical influence. Yes. I don't think we mentioned very much the capstone um experiment that went up. So on the 28th of June 2022, yeah. um capstone was launched um and it, it got into lunar orbit on the 14th of November 2022. And the whole idea for this 12-unit CubeSat was to go into this near-rectilinear halo orbit hmm. that the Lunar Gateway is going to sit in. Oh, wow. So the Lunar Gateway is like a sort of space station, international space station, that, that's going around the moon. And it's kind of like the staging post for landing on the moon and uh-huh. getting off the moon. Yeah. So the Lunar Gateway, this capstone mission, basically was was sent out to make sure that this orbit was actually feasible hmm. and to sort of learn more about that orbit. It flew on a rocket a rocket lab, Electron. It's collecting all that valuable data to actually verify this orbit and, and, and some of the problems because the moon isn't perfectly circular, as you know, so that there's bound to be some weird gravitational dynamics that need to be taken into account. Hmm. In- indeed, indeed. Moon bases... The, the one that keeps coming up is Moon Village by ESA, which was a sort of concept that came out in 2015, about when we started the podcast. Yeah, we? that's right. I remember it well. It always seems a little bit vague. I can never quite, I never quite put my finger on what it actually is. And, and uh, Jan Werner, at the time, the ESA Director General, he described it as an understanding, not a single facility uh, and that didn't help. No. I mean, I guess it's lots and lots of different um, programs looking at feasibility of of living on the moon mm. is how I understand it. So, you know, there'll be one little department working on the exploiting of lunar resources and there might be another department looking at fueling rest- refueling stations and establishing 3D printed habitats and stuff like that. Where you store the cheese that's you know, going to mature in the moon caves. Yeah, exactly. How, the harvest, the, the moon, the cheese harvesting stations. I'd love to work in that department. Oh my God, it would be the best. Lots of uh, Jacob's crackers required. <laughs> How much does it cost to get one Jacob cracker to the moon? Now, the Russians and the Chinese want to build the International Lunar Research Station, the ILRS. Yeah. That came into being 16th of June, 2021 in St. Petersburg. They kind of put a definition. Uh, It's designed as a multifaceted experimental research facility aims to support a variety of scientific research activities on the lunar surface or in its orbit. The facility is expected to operate autonomously for extended periods with the potential for human presence in the future. Hmm. Okay. It's a similar sort of uh, thing, I guess, to Artemis. Maybe, you know, it's a little bit more in the kind of Russian mould of being a, you know, sp- their sort of space station thing and less of planting flags in the sand, I suppose. Yes. If you look at a map of, of who's signed up to the Artemis 
accords and who signed up to this ILRSCO, uh, which is the equivalent of the Artemis Accords, but for the International Lunar Research Station Cooperative Organization. Hmm. Um, you'll see that um, that it, it's kind of even even Stevens in terms of coloring the in coloring the globe. Britain, for example, have signed up to Artemis Accords, but there is a couple of countries who signed up for both. Oh, well, in fact, only one: the United Arab. Emirates have signed up for both. Interesting. Okay. They put all your eggs um, in one basket. Uh, it could be that, of course, they actually can't take plate. They can't actually participate in the ILRS missions because of ITAR restrictions. So they, they, they can't, be f- can't be fully signed up. And all the EU countries that are sort of signed up is, is via their membership of the uh, European Space Agency. Right. That's right. It's a pity, it just seems to be, that's again turned into a bit of a, a two-sided race. Aye, aye, Captain. Not great. No, not great. Right, I'm going to ask you a few questions, Jamie. Okay. And you're going to say whether they have, whether it's the, whether they're true yeah. or false. Common myths about the moon section. Da, 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 right? da, da. And I think most of our listeners aren't going to fall for these because they're a very intelligent bunch. And I, I can hear their collective nodding right now and maybe scratching beards and non-beards <laughs> and, and, and amazing twizzling their long hair. Um, the moon has a permanent dark side. Is that true or false? Come on, Matt. We all know this. Every part of the moon receives sunlight at some point. Correct. Thank you. Although you could say, you could have got away with this and said, that is true. There is a radio dark side of the moon. Yes. And that's the bit that's, that, that is the side that we don't see. And it is dark in the fact that it doesn't see Earth's radio signal. Oh, okay. Okay. So there, there may be two answers there. But yes, of course, there is no dark side of the moon, of course. Yes, that the sun shines on every bit of the moon it's just what we're seeing at any one time is the same face of the moon it's tidally locked matthew we we know this it's tidally locked the moon's phases are caused by earth's shadow true or false Uh, uh, the moon's phases matthew are caused by the angle at which the sunlight hits the moon relative to our perspective on earth that that is correct however during a lunar eclipse of course we do see the shadow of the Earth on the moon, but that's a reasonably rare event, not a daily event. Well, Matt, let me throw one at you that I heard recently. Mm-hmm. The moon causes erratic behaviour in people and animals. Now, this I think is probably false, and it's probably the most believed myth of the moon. Apparently, there is, there's literally no scientific evidence to support the idea that the moon directly influences the behavior of either animals or people no i have a friend and she said that when she lived with uh four of her flatmates all females um that apparently because of the moon they all had the same periods at the same time any truth in that matt i i don't even know whether it's truthful about women's periods all um, sinking yeah anecdotally i certainly hear that all the time that that they you know women living together they they sink up but it definitely has no, n- nothing to do with the moon. Is it anything to do with... The, remember when we um, went to a, that hotel once and we both farted at exactly the same time? Is it a similar thing? I think it is the same as that. <laughs> 
Although you've probably done, that's a little bit of a faux pas, like linking periods and farting as a sort of similar human experience. Yeah, very, very silly. Uh, well, Matt, what, what about, um, what's your view on the moon landings being a hoax? Well, we, of course, in, in one of our early editions of this. Still one of my favourites. It's definitely one of my favourites. Still br- absolutely brilliant, the, the, the moon hoax episodes. Of, co- of, of course, the Apollo landings were real. Only a child would believe they, would. they weren't. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just so ridiculous. As they say, the, the evidence is overwhelming. Matt, I think that's a bit of an insult to children. Because my son, I do. Yeah, my son's do. two and a quarter, and he knows we went to the moon, and yeah, he could I, give you hard evidence for it. Yeah, you, you you might believe you might believe it. It was a hoax if you were four, but probably by the age of five, you've grown out of it. Yes, agreed. Right. You can only see the full moon at night. Well. That's wrong because I, in fact, very recently I saw the full moon and that was, um, that was just after sunrise, Matt. And also before sunset, you can see the same. So Yes, the, the full moon can be visible during the day. And Matt, we've it's, mentioned it's, it earlier, but what about, what's your view on the moon being made of cheese? I mean, can, well, you, can that, you actually debunk this? No, that, that is true and we need to move on. <laughs> All right, what about, how about, what about man-made <laughs> structures on the moon? Are there any? Uh, yes, there's flags and equipment and stuff like that left there. But there is no there is no man-made structures on the moon that weren't left by Apollo astronauts. No pyramids. Now, does the moon have an atmosphere, Jamie? Well, it's it's very tenuous, isn't it? Um I yeah, believe, yeah. Matthew, it's called an exosphere. Am I right about that? The exosphere, yeah. It's very yeah, it thin, and so, you know, the chances of it supporting human life are very small. Um it's nearly a vacuum, right, compared to Earth. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's almost not there. It's almost as if it just isn't there. There is some atmosphere because, of course, gas is coming off the, the actual moon itself and the gravity holding it down. There must be something there. But, yeah, on the whole, it's, it's essentially nothing. It's basically like the morals of our Home Secretary, Suella Braverman. How about this one, Jamie? The full, the full moon is larger on the horizon than when it's higher in the sky. You must have seen this with your own eyes. Come on. This is an optical illusion, Matthew, known as the moon illusion. The moon's size does not change. It's just our perspective um, based on its position relative to other objects on the horizon. And, and it's not even that simple. What's funny about it is that this is something that people have studied a lot, and there's probably about five or six different explanations about why the moon appears larger at the horizon than when it's up in the sky and none of them are entirely satisfactory uh uh solutions but they're all kind of true but none of them in their like on their own make uh consistent sense for for every case but it definitely does look bigger and my perspective is that that but that that it is it's almost like a hardwired response in the human brain to see the moon larger on the horizon i think there's something special about the moon that is almost innate in your brain um but it's it's a really interesting thing we we covered it quite extensively once on the on the podcast but the moon illusion is a is is a is really interesting one of my favorite things to do is when you're when you're 
when you see the moon really massive, when it looks really massive and it's on the horizon, and often it's a sort of orangey kind of uh, color because you're looking through the you're looking through the um, to, really thick atmosphere yeah. to it. And you go, God, look at the size of the moon. And of course, it's made worse by this kind of like kind of semi-myth of the of the super moon and all those kinds <laughs> yeah. of things. And it's like, oh my God, it looks massive, even though it's imperceptibly bigger than it normally is. But if you then get your camera phone out and try to take a picture of it, it still looks no bigger than a star. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's, you know, you can't, you can never capture that really big moon. With like a phone camera, you have to have a, a you know a, a telescopic Matt, lens. Come and look at my called. photo of the super blood moon, wolf moon. And then you see the person taking it. He's got this like six thousand pound telescopic lens on, <laughs> and he's taking it. Yeah, he's taking it across the, the a massive lake towards a uh, city centre that so that the moon looks like it's twice the size of the buildings yeah, behind. Thanks, there are a few other things, of course. The the, the one thing that I I think is interesting is obviously the origins of the moon and going to the moon would would certainly help us find out whether the moon was formed by a mars-sized object colliding with us um but how about uh Jamie how how are the uh, settlers going to cope with the vast temperature variations you've got 123 degrees centigrade during the day <laughs> and then minus 233 degrees centigrade at night it's it's not great is it for fluctuation no so that, i mean that's way hotter than anywhere on earth in the day and way colder than anywhere on earth at night it's 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 actually gross isn't it i think i've been uh on earth i need to google this but i think i've stayed overnight in um bolivia mhm in the salt flats, it's called Saladia Uni. Um, absolutely stunning place. But I think I stayed overnight there, and I think one of them, uh, one of the guides, told me the next day that I'd stayed in the most uh, varying temperature on Earth. So it was absolutely roasting during the day, and at night our water bottles were completely frozen. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, that times a million on the moon, right? Yeah, I mean it's orders of magnitude difference, isn't it? I, I guess it drops. A little bit below zero during the night and and quite a lot above, say, 30 in the yeah. day. <laughs> so so it's probably, you know, it's, you've probably got a, a range of about 40 degrees centigrade, I would think. Right. Whereas whereas this is a range of 350. <laughs> yeah. Quite quite considerably more. Okay, so yes, the, the, the final myth here is, and I think this is one of the tricky ones, is the moon doesn't rotate what do you think jamie well matthew the moon does rotate on its axis however it takes the same amount of time to rotate once as it does to orbit earth once which is why we always see the same side right yeah so in other words if you were flying above the earth and the moon in terms of the galactic plane yes. you would see them both rotating right. makes sense you know, so 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 it. I guess it depends on your frame of reference ish, but yes, no. The moon is rotating and it rotates once every time it orbits the Earth. In other words, roughly twenty every twenty eight days. So it is rotating. It's just like you said, it's tidally locked. So we we see the same face all the time. It's interesting. I Very wish interesting. I was tidally locked to you, Matthew, so I'd see your face all the time. 
Well, we kind of are tidily locked. I don't think we ever spend too much time where you're looking at the back of my head. No, no, that's true. Only when you fall through a black hole. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then, I, and then when I look behind, I just see the entire universe as it happened. Well, and then because obviously the black hole captures all of your information, I can put you back together again. Oh, yes. And then I can tell you all about the history of the universe. Oh, my God. Oh, we should do it. This is a podcast <laughs> waiting to happen. So it, the, the moon's even got some mountaineering places to go. Mons Huygens. Oh, here we go. Named after the great Dutch Huygens. Yeah. Uh, is, um, it is only half the height of Mount Everest. What? There's some, good, there's some good mountains. Another reason to go if you're a good mountaineer. Uh, anyway, Jamie, how are we going to c- conclude this? I think we, we should get maybe a little bit philosophical. What do you think? I think we absolutely should. Where should we start? Well... I want to think of the moon as being a sort of beacon in the night sky, a kind of pivotal player in the, f- in the future of our space endeavours. I think that's beautifully put. Do I think? don't think I can top that. I think you're absolutely right. I think we just need to think about this as not a race to be won, but a future vision of what life could become. Yeah, and, and you know what? It may be in the next couple of decades what seemed like a sort of science fiction thing. Maybe the moon will have, you know, space themes, attractions, vacation spots, that kind of thing, and and that maybe the likes of you and me can go visit. It, it's not, maybe not impossible that you and me might be able to go to the, the moon, Jamie. I think that would be lovely. Do you think they've got Wi-Fi think- there? They'll definitely have Wi-Fi there. So, some company is going to spend a lot of money getting 7G. 7G. So, yeah, in fact, I wonder what G will be available when the first settlement starts on the moon. Imagine the disappointment if you just couldn't get any reception up there. I'm going to have to call you back. You're breaking up. Yeah, and and, and of course, course what what will happen, just as it's happened on Earth now, is that there's plenty of places that used to be completely out of reach for all of us, but now... When people go to Matu, Matu Picchu or one of these places, they they you know it's it's on Instagram all the time and stuff like that, and you know you just you just see it. It's ubiquitous. Travels become easy. Taking photos have become yeah. easy. Sharing those photos. Same will happen, won't it? With um, with with the moon when that all kicks off, we'll just be inundated with social media. It just become commonplace, and just be seeing it there all the time. Absolutely. Oh. I went to the I went to the lunar baths today, and I was jumping in and out of the water, and there'll be like Instagram posts of of supermodels swimming like dolphins out the water and stuff. Matt, when you say supermodels, are you are you referring to me? Because I haven't been called that for some time. I haven't heard that for a while. People like you, people with snake hips. <laughs> <laughs> we take the best selfies. I would love to hear what people think about lunar exploration. So uh, keep blasting us on the uh, Discord and uh, or, and and Twitter, and just uh, let's let's keep this conversation up. I've really enjoyed this podcast, Jamie. I, I enjoyed diving in. I'm very yeah. passionate about all this stuff, as you know. So um, you know, let's try and make it happen. You know. Well, Jamie, it's always a pleasure to have you uh, back. And uh, yeah, you know, obviously, I'm 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 almost living to keep you just to keep to keep you on the podcast now well i think that's a that's a reason definite reason to keep alive isn't it (laughs) it's the only reason to keep alive (laughs) well now we've got going to the moon matt so that's the second one awesome 
Well, lovely right, to well, speak to you and take care, podcasts, and I'll, I'll speak to you soon. Bye! Bye! See you soon, bye.